I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John in the New Testament. Today we're going to be looking at the first verses in John chapter 15. We're continuing on in our study of this book, and you'll remember uh, for the last several weeks that we've been, uh, Pastor Steve or I have been preaching, uh, we've been in this section of John's gospel from chapter 13 to chapter 17, where Jesus has gathered his disciples together and he's teaching them, getting them ready for the reality that he's about to leave them, and they are going to need to go on without having him with them, even as he has been for the past three years. Chapter 15, beginning in verse 1 down through verse 17. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father, is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask in, in the, ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for giving us your word. We pray that the Holy Spirit would be at work, even in this, these very moments, helping us to understand what we're reading. Opening our eyes to see what it says. And we pray you would help us to see our Savior, the Lord Jesus, that at the end of today we would love him and desire to obey him. We ask all this in his name. Amen. I want you to think of a relationship that is important to you. A relationship that is meaningful to you. A relationship that is very precious to you. It could be your spouse, it could be a close friend, it could be a sibling, a parent, child. I want you to think about what does it take to keep that relationship important? What does it take to keep that relationship meaningful to you, healthy? It takes work. 
It takes intentional work. If you don't pay attention to the other person, if you ignore them, if you don't think about them, if you don't talk with them, the relationship will suffer. The joy and the meaningfulness of the relationship will fade. You have to be intentional about growing the relationship, about nurturing it and tending to it. And if you don't, the relationship won't abide. You won't stay connected. Here we are in chapter 15 of John's gospel. We're in this upper room discourse and Jesus is talking to his disciples about what a relationship with him looks like. And in particular, once he leaves them, once he is killed and then resurrected and ascended back to his father. And back in chapter 14, he spoke about being in them and them being in him. And he told them that he would send the Holy Spirit who would be with them and be in them. And through the work of the Spirit in their lives, they would commune together with Jesus. That they would be in fellowship together with Jesus in a relationship with Jesus. And as we come here to chapter 15, Jesus is telling us more about what this relationship will look like. As he does, he's telling them that it would involve activity on their part. Being in a relationship with Jesus is not passive. It involves intentional, proactive work. And to help them understand and to help us understand what that looks like, he uses this illustration. It was familiar. It was common. It was something that they dealt with every day. A vineyard, a vine, a vine dresser or a gardener, branches and fruit. A number of the commentaries that I looked at this past week said that because of what we read at the end of chapter 14, where Jesus says, rise, let us go from here. It's likely that what's happened is Jesus and the disciples have left the upper room and are now making their way to the Mount of Olives, uh, weaving their way through the city of Jerusalem and out, out of the city. And along that path, there are a number of vineyards. So it's very likely that Jesus stops as he's teaching them and talking and walking. He stops at the vineyard as the backdrop for this illustration. Now, regardless of whether he did that or not, this illustration would have been very common and familiar to the disciples. So the question that we need to reflect on today is what does this all mean? What's Jesus's point? How does this help us to understand what a relationship with Jesus is like? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever wondered, what does it mean to be in a relationship with Jesus? Or have you ever wondered, is my relationship with Jesus the way that it's supposed to be? Well, let's look and see what Jesus teaches us here. He teaches us uh, a couple different ways. He's going to give us the illustration, and then he's going to explain the illustration. So first of all, let's look at the illustration that he gave. We see it in verses 1 through 8. And notice the people and the things in the illustration, what they represent. He tells us that there's a vine and the vine is Jesus. He says at the beginning of verse 1, I am the true vine. And again at the beginning of verse 5, I am the vine. What's he telling them? He's saying, I'm the source of life. Remember, just before this, uh, back in chapter 13, Jesus was celebrating the Lord's Supper and he used wine, the fruit of the vine, to talk about his upcoming sacrifice on the cross. And these Jewish disciples hearing Jesus knew their Old Testament and they knew that many times in the Old Testament, Israel is actually referred to as a vine, often in very negative ways because they are being unfaithful. So Jesus is making a point here by calling himself the vine. He's saying that the greater and the ultimate Israel had arrived. 
He is the ultimate fulfillment. He is the life, the source of life. Then he goes on in verse, the end of verse 1 and the beginning of verse 2 to talk about his father in heaven who is the vine dresser in this illustration. He says, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. What does the vine dresser do? Well, he takes branches that are not bearing fruit and he takes them away. He throws them into the fire. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. But I want you to also notice what he does in addition to that. He says that the father prunes the branches that are bearing fruit. And we have some master gardeners in our church family who know this, uh, this principle well. But if you've even just worked in a garden before or tended some trees, you know how important it is to prune. Cutting back healthy and fruit-bearing branches the right way at the right time leads to more healthy fruit. And that's what Jesus says the Father does. He prunes us so that we might be more healthy and have more fruit in our lives. But here's the problem. Plants and branches don't feel pain when they're being pruned, but we do. It's a good reminder for us that our loving, our gracious Father prunes us. He might take something out of our life. He might allow us to suffer. He might give us a season of hardship. It can be painful. It can be unpleasant. It's undesired. But we have to remember that the one who is pruning us loves us. Our Father loves us. He cares for us. He knows what is best for us. And so He prunes us for our good as He prepares us for an eternal weight of glory. As He prepares us to be even more fruitful. That's what the vine dresser, the Father in heaven, does. Notice Jesus also says in verse 5 that we have branches. Who are the branches? I am the vine. He says, you are the branches. Just as living branches live because they are connected to the vine, so too God's people have spiritual life because they are connected to Jesus. When we become a Christian, we are united to Jesus by faith through the work of the Holy Spirit. And now that we are connected with Him and united to Him, we are in relationship with Him and we are meant to get our life from Him. There's one last element that Jesus mentions here and that's fruit. Fruit comes from the branches. Branches have life as they're connected to the vine. And healthy branches, he says, produce fruit. What is the fruit? It's good works that come out of the lives of God's people. So this is the, these are the, the people and the things that are in this illustration that, is, that Jesus is using to tell his disciples what it looks like to be in relationship with him. Look at what he says is, is the job of the branches. You can see that in verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Here's what Jesus is telling them to do. He's telling them they must abide in him. The branches have to abide in the vine in order to produce fruit. So too we have to abide in Jesus if we are going to have life. That's a very interesting word, abide. It means to remain, to stay, to dwell, 
to continue to live with. And the verb that Jesus uses here for abide is in the imperative. It is a strong command. We are to abide in Jesus. We are to stay connected to Jesus. We are to remain with him and commune with him. We can't bear fruit by ourselves, not the fruit that the Father desires and which honors him. It's only as we abide in Jesus, stay connected to Jesus, that good and godly fruit is produced. And that's what he goes on to say in verses 5 through 7. Not just the principle of abiding, but how it is to be practiced. He says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The the practice, the, the application of this principle of abiding in Jesus is that as we abide in him and him in us, we bear much fruit. And notice in verse 7. One of the aspects of that fruit is prayer that works. He says it again in verse 16. It's an amazing concept. As we are united to Jesus, as we commune with Jesus, as we grow in the depth of our relationship with Jesus, our prayers are brought more and more in line with God's will. Well, how encouraging that is as you as you abide in Jesus, as you deepen in your your knowledge and your relationship with Jesus. Your prayers become more and more in line with the very will of the Father. We also need to address these fruitless branches that are cut off. They wither and they throw, they're thrown away into a fire. What are, what are these branches? There are some that actually use this verse to tell us and to teach that Christians can lose their salvation. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about people who are in the visible church who may say that they're Christians, but they haven't had their hearts changed by the Holy Spirit. They, they may talk like a Christian. They may act and do certain things as Christians. They may participate in the life of the church, but the Holy Spirit has not changed their hearts. They haven't been united to Jesus by faith. And so he says the vine dresser eventually comes and cuts them off. They're fruitless. He cuts them off and they, they wither They are thrown into the fire, symbolizing suffering punishment in hell. But that's not the case for true branches. Jesus says if you are a member not only of the visible church, but of the invisible church, you've had the Holy Spirit change your heart and you love the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are one of the true branches and you are not cut off. Notice in verse 3, he he encouraged the disciples. He told them, I've already made you clean. With my words, all that I have done and am doing for you, your hearts have been changed. You are part of the true branches. And they didn't understand everything yet, but they genuinely loved Jesus. And he says, as true branches, you are united to me. You commune with me and connect with me. And as a result, you bear much fruit. Notice here the last verse of the illustration in verse 8. He tells us the goal of the branches. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. 
Jesus tells us the goal of the branches. Yes, they will produce fruit, but there's an even greater goal of the branches. An ultimate result of the branches as they as they bear fruit faithfully, the Father is glorified. I want to pause for a second. I want you to meditate on that thought. We are finite, fallen, broken human beings. And yet God in His good pleasure enables us to glorify a sovereign, infinite creator. What a blessing that is that he gives to us. That we can actually bear fruit and as we do that, we glorify the Father in heaven. It's an amazing blessing that he gives us. Okay, so here's the illustration that he used to to describe this relationship between uh, the people of God and, and Jesus. The rest of the verses in our passage today, in verses 9 through 17, Jesus explains the illustration. And what I want us to do is to look at these verses and just watch the flow of Jesus' thoughts. Watch the logic of what he says as he answers questions that come to our mind. One question is, well, what are we supposed to do? He gives us the answer to that in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. It's the same command that he gave him back in verse 4, to abide. Except this time he adds that little phrase, abide in my love. He's not saying anything different. He's just repeating the command and reminding them of his love for them. But we need to pay attention to what Jesus tells us about his love for us. Did you see what he says in this verse? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. How has the Father loved the Son? He has loved the Son from eternity past to eternity future. He has always loved the Son. There's never been a time when the Father didn't love the Son. It's a love that is perfect. It is a love that never wavers. It never shakes. It never fails and is never doubted. It is a selfless love. It is a deep love. It is an endless love. It is a pure love. And Jesus says, I love you with that same love. Brothers and sisters in Christ, take that in. Listen to what he is saying. Do you believe him? Do you believe Jesus when he says he loves us with the same love that the father loves him? Here it is in black and white. Right before our eyes is Jesus speaking the truth. Because he is speaking the truth when those moments that we have when we are tempted to doubt that Jesus loves us. We must come back here. John 15 verse 9, as the Father has loved the Son, so Jesus loves you. And so as a result, abide in His love. Abide in His love. That's what He's calling us to do. But the question that comes to our minds is what? Well, what does it mean to, how do we abide in Jesus' love? Well, Jesus gives us an answer to that in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Here's how we abide in Jesus' love. We keep Jesus' commandments. This is where we start to see our relationship with Jesus involving work on our part. We don't work to get into a relationship with Jesus. We don't 
earn our way into a relationship with Jesus. But once he brings us into relationship with himself, he gives us work to do. We love because Jesus first loved us. And now that we are in relationship with Jesus, he tells us that we are to abide in his love. And part of what that means is that we keep his commands. That we do, that we think, that we say what he teaches us in his word. So what's the next question that comes to our minds? Well, it is this. Well, what is Jesus' command? What's the command that we are supposed to believe? He gives us that in verses 12 and verse 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. In verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. It's the same thing that Jesus told him back in chapter 13, verse 34, that we saw a few weeks ago. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Jesus was about to leave. He was about to be executed, buried, rise from the grave, and then ascend back to his Father in heaven. And the disciples were not going to have him as they had for the past three years. They were going to be scattered. They were going to face persecution. Their lives were going to get hard. In fact, most of them were going to be executed as well. And Jesus is telling them, you are not going to get love from the world. And he looks at them and he says, you are supposed to love one another. You must love one another. And, and notice Jesus answers another question. What does, one, what does loving one another look like? Well, what did he tell them in verse 12? This is my commandment that you love one another. How? As I have loved you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, how has Jesus loved you? Well, didn't he just tell us? He loves us as the, in the same way that the Father loves him. And that's how we're supposed to be loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. Gordon Ketty in his commentary says that sometimes we say or we think something like this. I love so-and-so, I just don't like them. But you see in that moment, love is just a theory. The practice is disliking the person. And Ketty goes on to say that love that remains only a theory is no love at all. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ the same way that Jesus loves you? And of course we can say yes to that question to some people. The ones that we like. The ones that are like us. The ones that are nice to us. But Jesus' command to us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ has no boundaries. It has no limits. It is meant for us to love each and every one of them. Those that we don't like. Those with little in common, those who vote differently than we do, those who have different theological convictions than we do, those who are in different socioeconomic conditions, those that take more from the relationship that give. Jesus says you are to love your brothers and sisters in Christ, all of them. That's what it looks like to love one another. That's what we're being called to do, to love like Jesus loves. So what does loving like Jesus love what does that look like? Well, he goes on and gives us a picture of that in verses 13 through 15. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. 
You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. What does loving like Jesus loves look like? It's a sacrificial friendship. Certainly Jesus was foreshadowing to his disciples what was going to happen the very next day. Because he was going to literally lay down his life for his friend as he dies on the cross. That's the ultimate picture of what true love looks like. That Jesus would take our sins upon himself and bear the wrath and the punishment of God for us on our behalf. That he would pay every single one of our sins, past, present, and future, paying our debt in full. As Ephesians 2 says, he did it. Why? Because of the great love with which he loves us. Now John, who's writing this gospel, who's hearing Jesus' words and recording them, he also wrote letters. In 1 John chapter 3, he says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. But John goes on in his letter in John chapter 3 to say this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. John wrote that because he heard Jesus say it right here in John 15. This is how we're supposed to love one another, with a sacrificial love. Being willing to sacrifice things on our part in order that we might love and serve others. Being sacrificial, perhaps financially, perhaps with our time, perhaps being inconvenienced. Putting the needs of others before ourselves. Giving sacrificially from our time and our treasures and our talents that we might bless and encourage and love one another. That's what loving like Jesus looks like. It's sacrificial. It's a friendship. It also includes bearing of fruit. And again, in in verse 16, Jesus says this. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And excuse me, and I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Jesus has said it a number of times in the passage already. Healthy, living branches that are connected to the vine are to bear much fruit. So what does he mean by fruit? Well, I think we can think of that a couple ways. One thing that comes to mind is what Paul talks about in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Loving one another like Jesus has loved us is when we more and more exhibit the fruit of of the Spirit in our lives toward others. Being joyful with one another. Being patient with one another. Showing kindness and goodness to one another. Being faithful to each other. Being gentle with one another. Having self-control with one another. As we exhibit the fruit of the Spirit and it comes out of us into our relationships, we are loving others as Jesus has loved us. We can think of bearing fruit, not just the fruit of the Spirit, but good works in general. It's what Paul tells us in Ephesians 2. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
Isn't it interesting? God has created us. We're his workmanship. He's created us to do good works. And he's also prepared the good works for us to do. What does that look like? Well, maybe it means making a meal for somebody. Or writing a card of encouragement. Someone who's going through hard season. Maybe it means helping with mechanical needs. Maybe it's going over and helping with some yard work or what's coming for us more quickly is maybe you do some shoveling for them. This is what loving like Jesus looks like. It is bearing fruit in our lives that then helps and blesses others. There's another one last thing here about what loving like Jesus loves looks like. And that is being people of incredible humility. Look at what he says in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Just as he does on numerous occasions, he he reminds his people that they have every reason to be humble, to be people of humility. We didn't choose Jesus. He chose us. If Jesus, if choosing Jesus was left up to us, then all of us would be lost and none of us would be able to go to heaven. But Jesus chose us and he made us one of his friends. He loved us first. That's why Christians should be the most humble people on the planet. There should be no sense of arrogance, no ungodly pride, no looking down on others. The sovereign, holy, infinite God of the universe has set his love upon you and not one of us deserve it. He loved us first. And so we go and we love one another in humility. There's one last. So this is what Jesus is saying that loving like Jesus looks like. It is sacrificial. It is bearing fruit that overflows into our relationships with one another. It is doing good works and it is being humble. But there's one last question that Jesus addresses as we finish. One last question is, well, what happens when we do all of this? When, 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 we, when we abide in Jesus and, and we, we do his commands and we love one another, as we're doing all of that, what comes as a result? Well, he tells us in verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Isn't that amazing? When we abide in Jesus, when we obey his commands, when we love one another like Jesus has loved us, what is the result? We're filled with joy. We're filled with Jesus' joy. Abiding in Jesus and obeying his commands and loving one another is not burdensome. It is what brings us joy At the end of the day. And at the end of the day, isn't that what each of us wants? Isn't it really what we want? We want to be filled with joy. True, satisfying, deep and contented joy. And brothers and sisters in Christ, here's how we get it. We abide in Jesus. We obey his commands. And we love one another. Let's pray together. Father, it's so easy for us to read these words. It's so hard to put them into practice. We pray, Father, that you would give us opportunities this coming week. Opportunities 
as you abide in us, that we will abide in you. Opportunities to obey Jesus' command to love one another. And as we see those opportunities, Father, help us to go into them. Help us to be outrageous in our love for one another. Because we know that it will bring you glory and it will bring us joy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.